This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today, we answer your questions live from Lakeland Linder International Airport. I loved your feedback as to whether you like these live broadcasts or not. Right here at Field Center, looking at the uh, taxi out here, watching a Cessna 172 land on, uh, that's on runway 5 right there. They're using runway 5 today. A little bit of winds out of the northeast. Anyway, welcome. If you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, please write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you have, let's say, a story or about your career that inspire others or want to share your career in aerospace or have other information you feel will be helpful to our listeners like you, please consider becoming a guest on the show. Click on the Be a Guest tab and the show notes on the right side of the screen at aviationcareerspodcast.com couple of announcements. Of course, at AviationCareersPodcast.com, we have the Scholarships Guide, Career Coaching, and various online courses. Don't forget to use the coupon code PAYITFORWARD, all one word. So through the, and that'll get you a free Scholarships Guide for one-year access to the guide. Remember, we update it every month. You know, through the generosity of others, you may receive the Scholarships Guide for free. As a matter of fact, for every $10 we raise from our patrons on the podcast, we'll give away one Scholarships Guide. You know, if you want to make a difference in someone's life by contributing uh, and giving away a Scholarships Guide, please click on Be a Patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can make a huge impact on someone's life and career. Speaking of the Scholarships Guide, the most recent update, we have 47 new scholarships and 8 updates. Find out more at aerospacescholarships.com or click on the scholarships tab here at Aviation Careers Podcast. Again, special thanks to Shay for paying it forward again with a free scholarships guide. Again, don't forget to use a coupon code pay it forward to get a free scholarships guide that uh, Shay put forward with us. So we uh, really appreciate it. Again, don't forget we've kind of shifted what we were doing with the pay it forward. Make it really easy. All you have to do is be a patron. It's either $1 a month $10 a month or $100 a month, and there's different things that we give away as far as uh, those different levels. We haven't actually totally decided what we're going to do. One of the things we will be giving away, of course, is stickers and hats. Uh, we may even at certain levels give away shirts. So, uh, again, if you have any questions, of course, you can reach out to us on the Facebook page, Twitter, YouTube. You can go anywhere and find us, feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast, and then we will answer your questions. Usually my assistant, Alicia, is the one that will get back to you. So let's start with our first question here. Comes in and says, hello, Carl. Love your podcast and especially the recent show from The Hangar. The live feel of The Hangar episode was unique and fun to listen to. Well, I really appreciate that. It is really fun to sit out here uh, and do these shows live because of the fact that there's a lot more energy. I'm sitting here watching airplanes take off and land. It's cool because they're, I love Lakeland because there's such a mix of different types of aircraft. Today, it's Sunday morning, early, and there's not too many people flying. Nice and cool. Uh, kind of uh, The winds aren't calm, but they're steady down the runway. And as a matter of fact, I'm watching right now a warrior land on runway runway 5. That's runway 5 is in use today at Lakeland Lender. 927 is closed uh, here at Lakeland. I don't know till when, but anyway, check your notes before you fly in here. If you do want to fly in, say hi to me. Of course, Shelt Air is usually where I miss I meet people, but sometimes I'm in various locations on the field. So make sure you come by and stop sign and say hi. 
Anyway, let's continue with this question here. Uh, he says, I have an odd question. I've listened to many of your podcasts, follow countless aviation forums, and read plenty of aviation books, but I have not seen this topic address. I'm not even sure how to ask the question other than direct to the point. How smart does a professional pilot have to be? I understand that a professional pilot can be a pipeline pilot flying a 172 in class G airspace to a 7-4 captain flying internationally in class Bravo, etc. No disrespect to the 172 pilot, but it's clear that airline pilots with the complex aircraft systems, busy airspace regulations, weather, and emergency procedures, I'm sure there's much more, require a higher level of education than the 172 pilot. It's been said that every child looks up at the sky and wishes he or she could fly but what level of intelligence does it actually take? Most of us don't know our IQ or even our ACT scores, uh, ACT scores. So how do we know our individual potential? We all are blessed with talents and gifts, but I must believe not everyone is capable of being a pilot, much less an airline pilot. I'm currently IFR rated and have aspirations of a career flying, but I'm struggling setting a realistic goal and therefore a path to follow. Do I simply keep achieving ratings and work up the aviation ladder, letting the employment and hiring process be the filter? Does a legacy carrier captain require more intelligence than a regional FO, who in turn requires more expertise than a cargo pilot, etc.? Not referring to experience, we all gain knowledge through our life experience, but I'm really referring to intellect. Some days I'm ready to commit to a pilot career, and other days, after listening to a YouTube video about aircraft systems, I feel it's out of my reach. Thanks for all your encouragement and insight you pass along to aspiring pilots. First of all, I really appreciate this question because it's a tough question. It's hard for people to ask this one. I'm so glad you do that. By the way, if you have one of these tough questions, please ask it. There's no, there's no question I won't try to answer. And again, trying to be as transparent as possible, I will answer those questions as honestly as possible. So let's talk about this one. How smart does a professional pilot have to be? Okay, so there's different levels of intelligence. There's different things that we talk about, IQ, emotional intelligence, etc. Sometimes uh, the data, it's easier to go out and figure it empirically than it is to go out and collect data on yourself. What I tell people is this. You may have in your persona the ability to fly and be able to do many of the things that a pilot needs to do the best way to find that out i love how you said this is kind of work your way up the ladder if you have any doubts about it you know go out get your private pilot certificate start flying see if this is something for you should everybody become an airline pilot no that's why not everybody is an airline pilot not everybody's an attorney not everybody's a mechanic not you know everybody has different talents how do you figure those out you give it a try you know, one of the things I used to do when I was in business, my employees would ask me, you know, how do we go out there and market? I call it sneaker marketing. Get out there and try. Try whatever works for you because everybody has a different way of approaching things. And there are many different ways of approaching certain items. Let's, let's go be to what you talked about as far as intellect. I think one of the things we need to do is realize there are a few things that you have to do as a pilot. You have to be able to multitask. Um, you also have to have some eye-hand coordination. And you do have to read a lot and study a lot, especially when you get to the airlines with the systems and the knowledge that you alluded to. There are a lot of systems and a lot of things that you do need to know when you do move up to a bigger airplane because, 
You know, you become a plumber, an electrician, you're, you know, coordinating with air traffic control, your crew. There's so much that's going on all at once. It's kind of like you're orchestrating this whole flight. When you talk about the 172, there's different skills involved there. And like you said, not to take away from a 172 pilot or a pipeline patrol, but there's a lot of stick and rudder flying that they're doing all the time. In other words, uh, manually controlling the controls of the aircraft all the time. Uh, they call that stick and rudder. And yeah, that, that's a different skill. It's a, a very manual, physical skill. When you move on to the airlines, you need to know how to actually be <laughs> follow a molecule, as they say, from the intake and through the whole aircraft, through the exhaust of the engines. Uh, and that's something that I think that might take a little bit more studying. I've seen people, and you got to understand this too, when you're in, in an academic environment, I've seen people that have had challenges studying and have overcome those by studying more. Everybody uh, is able, everybody's different. Everybody has a different way of, of learning and everybody has different levels of learning. But as far as being an airline pilot and being a pilot in general, the way you do that is you kind of figure it out on your own. You did something though that's interesting. You've been online, you're looking at the forums, you're also looking at those YouTube videos of those systems. The systems, yes, they are complex, but with anything else, you learn things one step at a time. When you walked in to get your private pilot certificate, a lot of this, wow, it was just like, wow, this is wild. I'm learning so much. Once you finish your private, you get to the level of like where you've been flying for years and years, those pieces of knowledge that you gained as a private pilot that were so new and so exciting now are common knowledge because you're hanging around with a bunch of other pilots. So that's what's going to happen to you as you progress in this and the studies. So don't misinterpret the lack of knowledge of something as far as needing lots of intelligence to actually learn that thing. So, for instance, um, as you start learning engines and aircraft systems, as you go through your training, the ability to learn other systems, more complex systems, are going to become easier and easier for you. Uh, is there a level of intelligence? Is there? It should everybody become an airline pilot? No, of course not. But that's. Uh, but for the majority of people, I'd say yes. I mean, some people take a little bit longer to study the weather. Say, some people look at the weather and say, "Oh, that makes a lot of sense." I'm. A, I'm really into the mechanical side of things, and I love studying aircraft systems, and I love engines and motors, and you know, I used to drive a tow truck when I was in high school and liked working on cars. Well, that kind of stuff that comes a little more easily for me because I'm into that stuff. For somebody else, no, it's not as easy. Some people have a better grasp of the rules and the regulations and that type of thing. And that's where I think that all these different pilots have their different strengths and their different talents, like you said, and it's really important to, to realize that. So I would say this, be encouraged by the fact that you've been able to get a rating. And that rating didn't come with all this knowledge of suddenly in your head just like the knowledge of complex aircraft systems in a 777 or an Airbus or whatever it is you're flying, it, it'll come after a while. I mean, you know, I've flown, gosh, you know, over a dozen different types of jets. And after you've flown a few different jets in the different systems, they start kind of repeating themselves. Some are a little different than others. It's just like with turbocharging and supercharging and all these different types of systems. They are all very similar, and the skills that are needed to learn those 
are the same. So I hopefully that by my saying this, it's going to encourage you to not be afraid of moving forward in your career. Uh, one of the things you talked about as far as a, uh, the difference between like a legacy carrier uh, and also cargo pilots, et cetera, and regional pilots with a re- this is kind of interesting. A regional pilot is constantly flying legs and constantly working in and out of the system by doing takeoffs and landings and approaches and flying in the weather. Sometimes as a legacy pilot, I find this myself, I I can go a long time without actually getting close to any really, really bad weather like I used to in a, as a regional pilot. So the regional pilot, as far as intelligence is concerned, that, that's uh, I don't think that's the point here. The point here is the is the actual experience. A regional pilot is flying in the weather all the time, doing approaches. It's incredible experience. I'll, I'll give you a really good ex- uh, example. There's a thing called a 3585 exemption on a Part 121 carrier where, uh, you know, you actually can go to your destination. Your alternate can have, uh, you know, minimums that aren't quite up to snuff or uh, they are marginal as far as uh, your forecast is concerned. Then you have to have a second alternate. I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but that kind of is an overview. And so one of the things as a regional pilot I got to do is I had to do those maybe five times in one day. Amazingly enough, I've actually had to change my alternate because of 3585 about five times in one day. I have used 3585 once in the past five years where I am right now. So it goes to show you there's different different levels of knowledge on different items that you need to glean. And especially as like a regional pilot, it really helps. Oh, it helps tr- uh, tremendously. So um so again, there is there, as far as the intelligence, et cetera, no, there is a difference though between flying a large airplane, a small airplane. Larger planes have a lot more mass. Uh, we talk about flying jets. You have to think at 500 miles an hour. Those are the kind of things uh, that are important. Interestingly, you know, I was talking to somebody at the at, who does hiring at one of the airlines, and we were discussing the difference between an like a, a, an engineer and somebody who can you know dissect. A, an airplane and build the airplane as opposed to somebody who's uh, very athletic and can work on their feet and stuff like that. And what was kind of interesting, and he, this guy was a military instructor uh, at one point, and he told me he would rather have the guy who's not quite as intelligent, knows how to think on their feet, has a background you know, in not so much as much academics, but both a mix of academics and also athletics. And that's the kind of person he felt would be a very good fit because they're the type of person who can do both things. They can use their brain and use their physical body uh, while they're flying. And that's something you have to do as an airline pilot. Anyway, I hope that's, that's helped you to answer that question. All right, let's move on to one more question here. It comes in. This is kind of a long one, but it's cool. Uh, if you do have a question, make sure you write us. We love all your questions. We're going to start putting all the LinkedIn questions here. And by the way, another thing I do, if you notice when I'm reading your question, for those that hear their questions answered, I do take out a lot of personal information. I summarize quite a bit in these. So let's move forward with this one. He says, first, I'd like to start off by thanking you for the podcast. I found online that people seem to be very depressive and or apathetic about the aviation industry. And your opinion is always very optimistic. I think it speaks volumes for your credit. Credibility. As someone who is also looking at changing careers in aviation, it's difficult to figure out where to look and who to trust, especially when everyone online seems to only think inside the echo chamber of doom and gloom. 
Thank you for what you do. Uh, he also continues, feel free to share any information as none is too personal to give away as to who I am. Um, I do chop these up, by the way, as far as the, the questions and answers, just like I said, so I'll do that. Before I get into his background, I will say one thing. I, I am very positive because I like what I do, but if I didn't like what I do, I don't think I would be like this. And I'll, I'll tell you why. I have been through some really tough times. I, I guess I just don't express it enough. But remember, I, I lived out of my car for a while as an airline pilot. I was, I mean, I got furloughed. When I went for my interview at the current airline, I didn't even, I forgot which, what was my first airline that I flew. And the guy's looking at me like, well, you can't remember which one? I said, man, I've been furloughed so many times and I've done initial so many times. I never did recurrent in my first four years at the airlines because I was at a new airline every time, so I couldn't keep a job more than 12 months. So that, that, was, <clears throat> that was something that was a little different, excuse me. That was my attitude towards the whole aviation industry. I knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel, and that's the way you have to be. You have to say, hey, there is a light at the end of, end of the tunnel. And by the way, there's this really cool J3 Cub flying overhead right now uh, on a downwind for runway uh, 5, and they're going to be landing. I, I told you, by the way, that runways are closed, but the cool thing is I'm right on the downwind for runway 5, so I get to watch these airplanes go by. So anyway, that was a little exciting. Uh, I still get exciting by J3 Cub flybys, amazingly enough. As a matter of fact, I'd watch, rather watch that than a 747, so I see 747s all the time. Anyway, he, he continues. First, some background. Um, I'm an environmental scientist at a government agency. Although it's stable and will likely never go away, and the pay is low for what I do for my education, uh, and it's only about 1845 and it's capped at 40 hours a week, no overtime, etc., but, uh, and the state pension gets pulled out before we even get our checks, so it's more like $15 an hour than the, the legislature sets our pay. So, yeah, that's actually that's true of anything, by the way, going back to that pay thing. Like when you're contributing to like a 401k and stuff like that, yeah, that's pulled out of your paycheck beforehand. Uh, but when you get to the majors, this is one cool thing. I love that you brought this up is that you get money taken out, even in the state government. A lot of people don't realize this. When they ask me at the airlines, do you have a match? It's like, no, I don't have a match. And they're like, oh, my God, that's horrible. I said, yeah, but the companies, most major airlines give 13 to 15, 16, 17% of your income, even more through bonuses, to you free, right in your 401k. So think about that. That's, that's better than a lot of these state pensions. I mean, they're putting this money in. You hear about guys getting an 8% match. Well, yeah, we're so I, I, the way I explain it to people, oh yeah, we get like a I don't know, fifteen percent match or something like that, and uh, at most airlines, you know, on average, is fifteen or whatever percentage it is at most of these airlines between thirteen and seventeen, and you know, I I think people don't realize when I say that it's like oh yeah, you got to put fifteen percent, and actually no, they put it in for us. So that's one really cool thing about when you get to most of these legacy carriers and and major carriers, you'll have that. Anyway, he continues. Uh, it's uh, classic bureaucratic work where he said he works. I can feel my mind atrophying and drifting back to my dream of flying, especially when I currently earn less than a CFI, although it won't be B-2s or stealth bombers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I dream of flying. I know I'll still be fulfilled in aviation. I don't hate my current job, but my glass ceiling is low. I'm pretty much at, at already at age 26, and I don't have an attachment to my initial undergrad like I used to. So what's the point of prolonging the career shift? I spent the last year researching every single career I'd be interested in, and no one landed on two that I'd be serious enough to inquire about. Law school, which I've decided I don't want because it's essentially a super uh, version of what I currently do, which I don't like, and once again, the other one is aviation. By the way, you can do both. There's a lot of people 
uh, you know, people that you see online talking and aren't real happy about their jobs. And, you know, I get it. After a while, it gets kind of boring. You're doing the same thing over and over. Tell those people if it gets boring, quit their job or do something different or maybe get another degree. Become an attorney. Get your MBA. Become a dentist. I have a friend that's a, a captain in American Airlines. He's also a dentist. He became a dentist. I mean, it, you know, there's so much extra time and you make so much money that you know, we start complaining about things. That's what we do as airline pilots. As I said, you know, if you gave an airline pilot a pot of gold, he'll complain it's too heavy. And uh, sometimes we don't, in general, people, that's the way we are. We just don't realize what we have in life. And it's really, really important. Anyway, a few questions, so let's answer these one by one. Number one, graduated college in the fall of 2015, had great grades, and graduated early to get a head start on the military. I never wanted to go to college, uh, but my parents made me, and I wanted to fly for the military army at the time. Halfway through school, I picked back up with the Air Force, but I got medical DQ'd a week before graduation for a minor hearing loss in one ear. Uh, ironically enough, I'm assuming I lost the hearing only a few decibels of flow bass tones I can hear fine by working construction over four years to pay my living costs while at college to keep my loans down. Will is hearing loss keep me from being a pilot? I don't particularly have aspirations to fly for the majors. I'd really prefer a small locally owned family operating that runs charter flights all year so I can be home with the family. Interesting that you said that. So a couple things there in that question. Uh, if you want to find out if it's going to be a problem, you can actually talk to an AME. Don't actually go in for your medical so it's not denied. You can also go online. There's a lot of services out there that will do an initial consultation to you. You can talk to AOPA, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. That's a good organization. Uh, Aviation Medical Advisory Services. I also have the recommended reading list. You can click on that tab. has all that information in there as far as Aviation Medical Advisory Service. I think for a civilian, there is, uh, gosh, I can't remember what it is, but it's, it's under $75. It's an initial consultation, and you can go and talk to them about what your issues are and what your concerns are as far as getting your medical, and they'll tell you the steps to take. What they're trying to do for you is trying to prevent you from actually having a denial on your medical or a deferral. So when you go get your medical, either they can approve it, they can deny it, or they can defer it. Usually it's just a deferral. It's very rare to get denied. Usually the AME will actually defer it, and then they'll go forward and do a process where they try to see if you can get your medical. A good example is you. If you have a medical issue with your hearing, they may say, okay, we're going to defer this. We're going to have to go forward with some more hearing testing and see what we can do from there. I don't think your, pro your issue is a problem, but I'm not a doctor, so I would actually ask you to start looking at those type of uh, consulting services, uh, AMAS, et cetera. And the other thing you touched on, I, I kind of want to address here, uh, as far as being, you know, working for a locally owned family, et cetera, and being home with your, with your family. I will say one thing. My friends tell me, and they ask me, do I ever go to work? Now, as far as my airline job, I don't work a lot because that's by choice. I love being home, and I love doing this stuff. I love volunteering. I love giving back to the community. So that's me. I mean, I don't have to go make a, a bunch of money, and I, and I really, really enjoy doing this. So I'm home quite a bit. As a matter of fact, I take one week vacation every month. Think about that. I take one week vacation every month. And usually it's more than that. Sometimes it's two weeks in a row. Do other, most people where I work don't do that. They don't work as little as I do. But that's by my choice. That's the way I want to do it. Uh, if you want, if, say I needed to buy, um, I don't know, say I need a down payment on an airplane or something. 
I go work one or two months, a little bit extra, get the down payment, you know, make an extra 10, 20 grand and boom, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm off and I'm ready to go have fun again and take some time off. Uh, the cool thing is that when you're working for like a major, the pay rates are so high and the ability to make extra money at certain airlines, especially where uh, they pay double and triple time is so high that it's, it's just, it, it's tough not to want to do that job. But I get what you're saying. The, the other part of that coin, being home every single night is really, really cool. Because just remember, when I am at work, what I have to do, like for instance, I, let's see, I left on Thursday last week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then came back Sunday. And so I was gone all that time. So I wasn't home, wasn't around. So like things happen at the house, I couldn't fix them and stuff like that. So that's kind of the downside to all that. So hopefully that's answered your question. Go check it out with the uh, Aviation Medical Advisory Service. Moving on to your next question, it says, uh, in your opinion, is it worth it to start in ground services, earn an AMP while becoming a mechanic while doing that, then work as a mechanic while you work towards your hours towing banners or flying skydivers, et cetera? Or should I just skip all of that and go straight to a uh, quick accelerated school? The one thing that I think is really important is the fact that you don't want to dislodge your whole forward movement to an airline or whatever it is you're doing, by the way, not just this career, but whatever you're doing, don't get off track. Keep going in the same direction. By getting another degree, it's like saying, hey, do I, maybe you want to go and become, I don't know, and a, somebody who does air conditioning. Because the, the mechanic license, that's not that easy to get. There's, there's a lot of time involved. There's some programs that accelerated at 18 months, but it's a lot, a lot of work. So um, that's something that's not a small feat to do. I would love to get my maintenance technician's license, but uh, just haven't had time. Just working on too many projects with the podcast, that type of thing. Oh, and by the way, there goes a, a uh, let's see. Oh, that's a uh, diamond actually taken off and the wheels are going up. Pretty cool. Uh, anyway, the... Going back to what you were saying, the I know you hear the mechanics crest at about $100,000 some places with overtime, of course. That's great. But if you're looking at, if you're looking at from a financial standpoint, yeah, it'd be better to go like to a major airline, uh, even a regional airline. I mean, you hear that your regional airline pilot's making 140, 150,000 a year as a captain. Uh, so if it's, and I get it, it's not all about the cash. Um, but if you decide to go down that route, sometimes people never come back from it. It is a great thing to have to be an AMP, especially if you're looking at some of these jobs as like a, a corporate pilot, that type of thing, or working in the field for a corporation. So yeah, that actually, it could help. But again, I don't want you getting off track and forgetting about doing this and moving forward with what it is you want to do, and that is fly airplanes. Uh, I w- would love to, to talk more about that. Um, but would it postpone, you ask if it would postpone your piloting career? I think so. Um, you do continue. I like this one. It says, would, it would be cool if you could have an aviation mechanic on who doesn't have a military background so he, she could walk us through how they got there. I should note, if I go to an A&P route, I'd like to wind up at a major as a mechanic and then work towards my pilot license afterwards. A lot of people do that, um, but they're, again, you're postponing the career and your seniority. I know you hear about a seniority is everything, and I get it. I don't, I don't say that a lot uh, because I also believe the journey is important, and if there's something you really, really, really want to do, there's a cost involved, and that cost would be um, you know, your, how much money you'll make at the airline. Go back to the episode I talked about, don't make a $2 million mistake in your career. Uh, it talks about postponing uh, your earnings and how much it'll change how much you actually have when you retire. Uh, by the way, back in episode six, 
uh, years and years ago, well, over five years ago, I did talk to, uh, we had a panel discussion with the folks at National Aviation Academy. They're still around. The people that are in that podcast, I'm pretty sure they're all gone uh, on to other jobs. So take a listen to that. But what I'm going to do is this. There are a ton of mechanics that did not go the military route, and they're here at the airport. And I'm going to go start asking around if they'd be willing to talk to us about what they did. So are there mechanics out there that made it to being a mechanic through the civilian route? Oh, yeah, there's lots of them. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of the ones I talked to didn't go the military route. It just happens that people that I have on the show have gone that military route. So we'll talk more about that. We'll get somebody on the show. I've put my feelers out. If you're listening, you're a mechanic, you went the civilian route, love to have you on and, and ask you the route you went. And if you've done it recently, we'd like, really love to have you on to see how things were uh, in the recent uh, view from, from becoming a mechanic, that's for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, the third part of his question, my wages are capped right now, so I don't have any extra income to earn a private license. And the extra days I spend working a second job would likely degrade the quality of my work at my current employer. I'm sort of in a pickle. Do you think I should try to earn ratings part-time on the side or commit to a job change completely and go to work for ground services or work my way? My current schedule is flexible in that I can do four tens or something to accommodate some training. I would stick with that kind of schedule. If you can do four tens, I would stick with that. Um, I'm not sure I would, you know, kind of quit the job that you have unless it's a better pay. Uh, a lot of people, and that's what I did, I went and, and worked part-time. There was times between jobs, you know, I, was, I did a, had a consulting business, so I could take off four weeks at a time because I worked for myself. I wasn't didn't have to ask my boss. But those are the kind of things you have to look at. I really feel that you should, at this point, look at seeing – because of all these other questions you have, get your rating first, get your, you know, work through them, uh, get all your medical things in a, in a row and that kind of thing, ducks in a row there, and then move on from there. Um, so hopefully that, that answers your question. So I really, you know, and then obviously there's other things involved. I mean, if uh, there's other financial things to talk about, uh, we can talk about more offline in a coaching session, but I think, you know, to answer your question, I think real, yeah, I would uh, I'd stick with what you have right now and then at some point have that plan to make that jump and make sure you become very conservative in that plan as far as when you do make that jump, how much, how many loans do you have to take out, that kind of thing. It's the same thing as when you go to college. When you go to college, most people, uh, many people, I should say, don't work uh, and some people do. Some people do full-time or part-time. It's the same type of situation here. Anyway, moving on to this next question. It says, in your opinion, is it possible to make a career in a specific city? He talks about where his fiance wants to stay, et cetera. In general, if you decide to move to a certain city, I just, I did a, a bunch of coaching sessions yesterday. <clears throat> this came up quite a bit because part of the decision to go to a specific airline is based on where they have bases. Uh, in the old days, it didn't matter. You just went with the first airline that hired you because not everybody was hiring. But if you pick an airline that has a base in a city you want to live in, make sure you look at this. Make sure you look at the fact that, yeah, you can commute. You can commute from that city to a base for the airline that you re really want to work for or find out if they're actually there and based in that city and you can actually stay in that city and drive to work. That would be really, really cool. Really do your research. I have a link on my website at uh, recommended reading. It talks about pilot domiciles and tells you all the different pilot domiciles. Check out one of those cities if that's where you want to wind up. That's really cool. Uh, I've done the same. I went to an airline. There was part, a big part of my decision in picking the airline I work in now was the actual some of the bases, and they have a couple of bases uh, in Florida and the South and 
I was like, yeah, this is kind of where I want to be. And I'm very happy with it. I uh, don't, uh, don't commute. I have all this time off because I just drive to work, which is incredible. Uh, so those are the kind of things you want to look at. But, yeah, you can make a career anywhere. Just remember this. And so, for instance, here's the opposite to that, to my situation. I have a friend lives in this really amazing town in the middle of Kentucky where there is no airline service. So he has to drive to an airport and fly to another airport and then fly to another airport, which is his base. So it's a double leg commute. I've done double leg commutes. It's taken me a day to get home and a day to go to work. So if I'm doing a four day trip, that's means six days of my week right there that are killed because you know I'm traveling all the time, but it was worth it because I lived in a really, really cool place. So hopefully that helps you out there as far as making that decision. Those are the kind of things you want to look at. So anyway, number five, his question is, personally, I don't have any goals to break 100000 a year as a common income outside of overtime, of course. I just want to be comfortable and love my job. I'm living paycheck to paycheck right now on my current job and pay, but we don't necessarily struggle. We still have enough to grab a few beers on the weekends with friends, but we don't have any extra leftover for vacations or to get ahead on our loans or to save for a house unless we whittle our life down to nothing. But an air mattress is no fun. Believe me, we live pretty frugally. Something always seems to pop up bill-wise. Um, what types of careers in aviation pay around the amount of forty to $60,000 a year that would allow the flexibility to earn ratings on the side? Does that even exist? Um, there's one that a lot of people do, and that's dispatch. Remember we talked about dispatching uh, on a previous uh, podcast. We will have them back on the podcast again. They do exist. Uh, like you said, working as a mechanic, that can be quite flexible, especially if you're in an area where there's a lot of aviation going on. We see mechanics here. Uh, we have a maintenance base not far from where I live, and you have guys right here at Lakeland Airport and other airports locally that go flying. So, yes, there are a lot of opportunities there. The dispatcher course, by the way, and again, I don't want you getting off course, um, but if, if it's a new job, sounds like you'll make more money as a dispatcher, so that's a positive change. That's the only reason I would ever suggest it, is that you can make definitely more than you're making now as a dispatcher with a regional and moving on to a major at some point, giving you that flexibility to fly. And by the way, dispatchers, I have a ton of dispatcher friends, and most of them actually fly little airplanes. And like Dispatcher Mike was on, Mike Carroll's, uh, listen to his podcast. He has a really cool one. Uh, Flying in Life is his. There's a whole bunch of other dispatchers that I've had on that really love what they're doing and they love to fly little airplanes. So yeah, you will have time to do those type of things. Anyway, yes, there are other things out there. And Dispatcher is one big one. Anyway, he says, uh, again, thank you for everything you do. You've certainly helped reignite my passion for aviation to the point where I've actually called a local uh, FBO to inquire about the line service tech position and start my career change already. I feel old. I know I'm not considered old relative to others, but I've been through a lot in my life already, personally and professionally, and I haven't found a fulfilling job or career yet. I've made mistakes. I've fallen down, but I've always stood back up and moved forward again. I appreciate any answers you have to be able to provide. Uh, I'm just trying to do a little risk management here and make sure I'm not going to fall flat on my face while making a career shift. Happy holidays and uh, sincerely, and I really appreciate the happy holidays. It is that time of year. I'm very excited about it. I am working on Christmas, by the way. I worked on Thanksgiving. I do have New Year's Eve off, though. Uh, what's interesting, and by the way, on my Christmas holiday, this is really cool. I love relating these stories. I actually got an overnight in my home city. So that is cool. So not, well, not exactly my home city. It's like 
30 minutes away. And uh, my hotel is actually close to where my in-laws live, where we stay. So we're actually going to go, I'm going to go stay at the hotel and go f- to my in-laws for dinner, or excuse me, lunch. And then I'm going to jump in and fly, uh, continue my flight the next day. And I'll be home that night. It's like a two day trip. So, uh, pretty cool i think i think it's, it's a real neat situation so you too can have that kind of situation which it is really nice you know i i really appreciate this question it's a long question and i, I love answering these it can take up a whole episode of what it's what it has done that but it's good i mean these are great great situations obviously we can do some coaching um, or you can talk to other career coaches etc and ask them those questions these are basic life questions as far as what to do moving forward in his situation, just like many people out there, I know you're struggling with this, saying, hey, listen, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go as far as in my career? Look at the job. Look at the money you're making. If something's better, go for it. Like I just talked about the dispatcher. There's other things out there. When you're at a lower income level, it's a little easier to replace that income. Once you start moving up the chain, it's harder. So we talked about the mechanics license that's harder to replace that income because you make a really good income. Whether you're working at the airport, at the, the local airport or in the FBO, or you're working at a major airline, boy, you, you know, it's a really, really good career. Anyway, thanks so much for all those questions. We've gone a little bit over, but I am just so excited. Like I said, beautiful blue sky, wonderful day out. I wish I was up there flying. I actually thought about taking the airplane up, but I have to run to go to another podcast, and I'll tell you more about that once again. I, I tell people I'm going to be on a podcast, and sometimes it doesn't happen, so I'm not going to tell you which podcast I'll be on. Um, I've been interviewed by a bunch of other podcasts. I will tell you afterwards and put in the show notes, but I'm really excited to talk to these people. Also, I forgot, big shout out to, to my uh, Matt Len. He's actually our new programming assistant and he's really helping us out with getting more folks on and doing interviews one of the things if you notice what i've done i've been concentrating on answering your questions and just to let you know this is the first time and it's been at least two years this is the first time in two years i actually have been able to catch up on the questions this is the last question we have in the database it's awesome i mean normally i am like months and months behind but i've really concentrated on getting those questions answered and it's been exciting. Again, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you have a question, a story you want to write in, uh, if you want to come on the show, we'd love to have you on the show. If you have an inspirational story, if you're a mechanic and you've worked through it, especially through the civilian world, we want to hear you. If you know somebody at a flight school who wants to explain something different they did with their career that helped them move forward or something they did that made it a little more quick, uh, you know, more efficient, then, yeah, we want to hear those type of things to relate it to you, the listener. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening. Again, right here, right at the center of Lakeland Linder International Airport, looking at the NOAA hangar across the way, and, of course, Polk State College and Center Fun, I'm show center, if people probably know exactly where I'm at here. And one of the MIT hangar, hanging out, wish I was flying, but airplane's down for maintenance. You know, those pesky uh, things break, and they also have to go in for maintenance once a year for their annual inspections. But one thing that's really important that I want you to do is I want you to do something today to move forward in your career, no matter what it is. When you hit the stop button on this, go and look at some of those links we talked about. Listen to that past episode, episode six, about becoming a mechanic. But I want you to do something small, something big, no matter what it is. Take one step today to move forward in your career and in your life. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream. 
and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.